we'll just go forward, okay? All right, good morning, everybody. Thank you for watching us. I uh, apologize for the delay and some hiccups. I don't know, we don't know what's recording, what's not recording. Uh, we haven't had this problem before. We've been doing this actually for five years and never had this issue. But this is Dave at Lighthouse Discipleship Center. And we're talking about the uh, God Revealed. And uh, uh, we're talking about the seven names of God. I'm not going to go through all the announcements because I don't know if this is recording, but by the time you listen to this announcement, this won't be relevant. So, so anyway, sorry for a little frustration on our part this morning. I'm trying to work with technology, but I'm trying to turn a new chapter here this morning and, and just get a restart. So we're going through the seven redemptive names of God and how they reveal God to us. You know, some of these people, some, some people call these names titles. I don't like that phrase because they're names. Uh, they describe who God, and they don't describe uh, who God is, even though it does. It describes what God does. It, it, I mean, it doesn't, a title, you know, I'm a pastor. I'm a notary public. Uh, I have other job titles. Uh, you know, it describes a little bit of, of what I do, but it's who I am. I'm also Dave. That's who I am, uh, and so these, these these names these these names describe God to us, and more specifically, they reveal Christ to us. All Scripture points to Christ. Jesus said himself in John chapter four, "You search the Scriptures, for they testify of me." Now, when Jesus used that word Scripture, the New Testament didn't exist yet. Now we believe that Scripture includes the New Testament, but when he said that. When he said, you search the scriptures, for they testify me, the New Testament didn't exist yet. Paul hadn't been converted yet. He hadn't started writing letters. Peter, James, John, they didn't start writing letters and, and books. The New Testament didn't exist. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Uh, none of that existed yet. And now maybe some of those authors, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, were starting to write some of those things as through the ministry of Jesus, especially John who recorded it. But at the same point in time, scripture didn't exist yet. As far as the New Testament concerned. So, all scripture, old and new, points to Christ. And uh, Christ is always going to be the center point. And so, it's the center point of Christianity. Anyway, uh, these, names, these names reveal God to us. And they all point to Jesus. And we got through this, we're going through the seven redemptive names that we see in the New, uh, Old Testament. And I'm just going to relist them again for you this morning. I'm not going to go into detail. We had those in our first two videos uh, in this series on God Rebuild. And then the, the first name that we went over is Jehovah Jireh. The Lord is our provider. Uh, and then the second name that we went through is Jehovah Rapha. The Lord is our healer. The third name we went through is Jehovah Nisi. The Lord our banner. The fourth name is <coughs> excuse me, Jehovah Makedish. The Lord who sanctifies. That's the one we went over last week. And then the, the day... We'll be going over Jehovah Shalom, the Lord our peace. And then tomorrow, or next week, <laughs> excuse me, we'll be going over Jehovah Tedeschi, which is the Lord our righteousness. That's probably going to be my favorite one. And then the last one where we'll go through is Jehovah Shema. And then we're going to conclude the series with talking about the name of Jesus. Because they're all pointing to Jesus. And we'll be talking about Jesus as well. And so, uh, you know, the Lord... And all these are prophets with the Lord. The Lord, our God, our King, our Lord, is our provider. He's our healer. He's the one who sanctifies us. He's our banner of victory. <coughs> and today we're going to be going over how Jehovah, our God, is our peace. 
And so we need peace. You know, this word, there's a couple of words used for Jehovah, and one, one of those is Yahweh. And Yahweh is meaning the self-existing one, the one who reveals himself. See, God is not hiding from us. God's never been hiding from us. Even with Adam, he didn't hide from Adam. Adam hid from God. And so these names reveal God, his nature, his character, who he is to his people. <coughs> we'll also see that each of these names is a huge part of our doctrine, our beliefs. And they all point to the atonement that we have in Christ Jesus. Okay? Now, one thing I noticed throughout Scripture, and I noticed throughout history, and I even, you know, but especially Scriptures, and that's what we're, we're basing our theology. We, we base our theology not on our experience, but on Scripture. You know, sometimes our experience doesn't match up with Scripture. And I'm not trying to discount someone's experience. But I can't base my theology. I can't base my belief system on your experience or my experience. I have to base my theology on the Word of God. That makes sense? And I, I can't always... I mean, I'm, I can't discount someone's experience, but that does, that does not, that, that's not my, my doctrine. That's not my creed. That's not my foundation. Uh, you know, and so, um, anyway, that's another, another subject for another time. But throughout biblical history, people have come to God in critical times in their lives. And every time, time people came to God in those critical moments, God always revealed himself. He revealed himself to Abraham, as he was offering up Isaac as Jehovah Jireh, his provider. provider. He, uh, he, he revealed himself to Moses at the, at the bitter waters of, of Marah as Jehovah Rapha. He, while Joshua and, 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 and Israel was fighting the, 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 the armies of Amalek, God revealed himself as Jehovah Nisi, the Lord of Abraham. Last week we looked at as God revealed himself in the midst of the law. And specifically <coughs> in this law where God is giving the penalty for sins. There's penalties for sin. And if you read the Levitical law, there's some very uh, heavy penalties for sin which all go, point to death. Because the, the law is called the ministry of death. Paul calls that, that in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. In the midst of all these penalties, God reveals himself as Jehovah Makedesh. The Lord who reveals Himself, or one Lord who sanctifies. Sorry, I got that stuck with uh, another another name. Today we're going to be going over Jehovah Shalom, and we're going to be looking at Gideon, and where the Midianites were were oppressing, as well as some other nations were oppressing Israel in the, in, the, in the time of their history. But while they're they're, and we're going to see that Israel in this in this time of history, where they were hiding in caves. They were being so oppressed and they were so impoverished, uh, and some of that was of their own doing and, and their story. Sometimes the stuff we go through is not of our own doing, but sometimes it is. Okay? But uh, Israel and Gideon were finding, they, they found themselves in a very oppressive time in their history. In the midst of all this oppression, in the midst of all this calamity, God reveals himself as Jehovah Shalom. I am your peace. And so. So, again, my point here at the beginning is a lot of times when we're going through critical times in our lives, and some of us, many of us, if not all of us, have gone through critical times in life. We never always know when those things are going to happen. But 
when, but throughout history, when people have been going through critical things, God has revealed himself as their Jehovah, as their provider, as their healer, as their victory, as the one who sanctifies them. And today, we're going to be talking about him, as he reveals himself as their peace. Now, this word shalom, and there's a lot of different aspects I can bring out of this word shalom. It's a very beautiful word. I love the word. But it means peace in the simplest form. There's another definition I came across this week as I was studying, preparing for today, that also means total well-being. It's, it's a word for total well-being. It's, it's a greeting that most Jews would do when they greet people. Uh, uh, much like in Hawaii, they do aloha, which means hello, goodbye. But the word shalom is a little more richer, a little more deeper in meaning, and it, it means peace. And a lot of times it would give a greeting. A lot of times in Paul's letters and, and some of the other New Testament writers, they would do a shalom greeting. Uh, grace and peace to you. That's a shalom greeting in many ways. And so shalom is, means peace uh, in, 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 in its simplest form. Okay? So if you're in the Bible, in, in Judges chapter 6, we're going to look briefly at the at the life of Gideon as it pertains to this name uh, in, in just a moment. And again, I, I want to give just a, I'm not going to read the whole story, so let me just give you a little bit of the background, a little bit of the context before we get into some of the, the heart of the matter here. But again, I, as I mentioned, Israel had already come into the promised land. They're in the promised land now. Okay, They've already come into the promised land under Joshua. Joshua has died and gone on. We're in the book of Judges, which is right after the book of Joshua. But in this time of Israel's history, they got comfortable. During the Promised Land, they got comfortable. They started, uh, and they gave up. And they, they got comfortable. Sometimes, you know, I find that sometimes people run closer to God when they're going through trials. And when life is good, sometimes they, end up, they get comfortable. And they forget about God. And they forget uh, the relationship with God. And in this time, they got so comfortable that they started following some false gods. Like Baal. Baal was a common one that kept coming up throughout their history. And many of them stopped following after God. They did evil under the worship of Baal. They were God's chosen people. They were, but they were being oppressed by the Midianites. They were hiding in caves. <coughs> they became impoverished. And they didn't have any safety. They didn't even have any weapons at this time. So in other words, what I'm describing right now, there is no shalom. There is no peace. If you're hiding in caves and you're being oppressed and you are impoverished, there's not going to be a lot of peace. You know, sometimes as a pastor, I get called to visit people in the hospital or in a crisis moment. Uh, maybe it's a marriage conflict or maybe it's other things going on. Uh, we get called uh, and sometimes even called in the middle of the night. Uh, uh, but at the same time, you know, there's a verse in Isaiah 52 verse 7. I use this as my kind of my... My motto for me when I go to those events. But it says, How beautiful are the mountains of the feet of him who brings good news, who proclaims peace, and I, I'm just going to paraphrase the verse, who proclaims salvation and, and declares that our God reigns. Now, salvation, we've studied this many times in this church. Salvation in Yeshua in Hebrew and uh, uh, Soteria, or, so, or Sozo. In the simplest form in the Greek, means it means wholeness. It means healing. It means deliverance. It means prosperity. That's what the word means by definition. 
And a lot of times when I get called into the hospital or to a crisis moment in their lives, there's a lot, we want to proclaim salvation, healing, and wholeness over the situation. But a lot of times there's not a lot of peace. There's a lot of anxiety usually. There's a lot of turmoil. There's a lot of, uh, uh, again, anxiety and worry and, and, and fear. Uh, so the first thing I usually do when I come into those situations <coughs> is I proclaim peace. I proclaim peace. And then uh, the second thing I do is usually I proclaim salvation over that situation. I proclaim healing and wholeness over that situation. So uh, the first thing I usually do is proclaim peace over, over what's going on. And so, um, uh, so again, in, the, in the, your Bible, in the book of Judges, we're going to jump down to verse 13, chapter 6, Judges 6, 13. Judges 6.13. So Israel Israel's being oppressed by the Midianites. They're hiding in caves. And in verse 13 it says, And Gideon said to him, God, he saw the angel of the Lord, he says, Oh my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? Actually, no, let me back up just one moment. Let me go, uh, let's go to verse 12. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him, Gideon, and said to him, The Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. Verse 13 again. Gideon said to him, O oh my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? And where are all of his miracles, which our fathers told us about, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now, the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. Then the Lord said to him, turned to him, and said, Go into this, this might of yours, and you shall have Israel you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites, have I not sent you. Now we're picking it back up here in just a moment. So again, Israel's being oppressed, they're hiding in caves. Uh, and and we, if you read the whole story, Gideon's actually threshing wheat in, 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 in a place like this. And, and, uh, but as, as Gideon sees this angel of the Lord, and actually, if you say the word Lord, it's Yahweh. It calls it an angel. So there's only one Yahweh. That's God. Okay? There's only one Yahweh. And that's just a little side point. But Gideon's asking this angel of the Lord, God, he says, why is all this happening? Why are we being oppressed by the Midianites? Why are we being overtaken? Why aren't we? And basically, he said, aren't we your chosen people? Where are the miracles? What's going on? You know, we, we hear that so many times when, uh, as pastors when we're ministering to people. I, you know, I'm a Christian. Why is this going on? What's going on in my life? Why is all this, all this stuff happening to me? I prayed and it didn't happen. What's going on? God, where are you? Type of thing. So it's, it's no different in the New Testament than the Old Testament that, uh, that I experienced today. But in reality, God never forsook Israel. They forsook him. They were the ones following after Baal. They were the ones worshiping other gods. They were the ones that were, they became, they got comfortable and separated from God. Again, I didn't read the whole story, but that was what's going on. But, but getting asking, why is this happening? Why have you forsaken us? And, and Gideon really didn't have a revelation of God if, you're, if, you're, if, you're, if you just even read how he, he, he addresses some things. But, at the same point in time, here's Gideon, 
and let me just use a front in a, in a back sudden stage, so to sort of speak. And he's having an encounter with this angel, this Yahweh, with God. He's having a face-to-face -face conversation with this angel, the Lord. And it goes on to say in verse 15, So he said, he, Gideon said to him, this angel, <coughs> Oh my Lord. Now he's using the word Adonai here, those are going to follow in our series. How can I save Israel? Indeed, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. I mean, Gideon's saying, I'm the weakest of the weak. We are the weakest family. I'm the weakest child in my father's house. Why, of all people, why are you coming to me? How am I going to rescue Israel? I'm the weakest of the weak. He has a poor self-esteem. <laughs> you know? And some of us are, some of you might be that way. You know, I'm just the weakest of the weak. You don't know how bad I am. Or, 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 you know, and all that type of conversation... And some of you might be having that old conversation in your own mind. You know, you're just a fool. You're, you're messed up. You, whatever. However you had that conversation in your own mind, in your own way. All that's focused on you. All that language, all that talk, all that downplaying and criticizing yourself is just focusing on you. And I'm not trying to minimize your situation, but I'm trying to magnify your God. Get your focus off you. Get your focus on God. Stop whining and complaining about what you can and cannot do and who you are in your own eyes. You know, even Israel, when they were supposed to go to the promised land, the first generation, they saw themselves as grasshoppers in their own eyes. They weren't grasshoppers. The enemy didn't see them as grasshoppers. God didn't see them as grasshoppers. They saw themselves as grasshoppers. That make sense? They saw themselves, they saw themselves as grasshoppers. Gideon saw himself as the weakest of the weak. But God didn't see him as the weakest of the weak. God came to him. No one else, even the king, or, or, well, actually didn't have kings yet, but, and the, but, but the leaders, God, God wasn't showing himself up to someone else. Why didn't God show up to the, if he was the weakest of the weak, according to Gideon, why didn't he show up to the strongest of the strong? You know, uh, but that's not who he, he chose. That's not who he came to. But let's skip on down to verse 22 for a second time. And now Gideon perceived that he was, he was the angel of the Lord. So Gideon said, Alas, O Lord God, for I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. And then the Lord said to him, Peace be with you. Do not fear. You shall not die. A lot of people thought that if they saw God, they would die. And so he was, he was like, what's going on? And so Gideon built an altar there to the Lord and called it, The Lord is Peace, or Jehovah Shalom. To this day, it is still an offer of abundant rice. And now it came to pass the same night that the Lord said to him, Take your father's young bull, the second bull of seven years old, and tear down the altar of Baal that your father has cut down in the wooden down the wooden image that is beside it, and build an altar to the Lord your God on top of this rock in the proper arrangement, and take the second bull and offer a burnt sacrifice with the wood of the image which you shall cut down. We'll come back to this uh, Jehovah Shalom in just a moment, uh, but it's it's in this it's in this context God reveals Himself to Gideon. 
He calls them the mighty men of valor. He tells them he's going to use them to deliver Israel. Gideon's also having a conversation. Why has God forsaken them? And different things, everything we just shared. In the midst of all this, Gideon realizes he's seen God. <laughs> he's just seen him face to face. And he thought <coughs> he was going to die. God reassured him, you're not going to die. And uh, Gideon builds uh, an altar and calls it Jehovah Shalom. Okay, that's the context of what's going on here. Uh, and then verse 25, God, God, the first thing God tells Gideon to do is tear down your father's altar. Tell, in other words, tell, tear down this shrine your father has made to the god Baal, which is really the source of the problem. They're going through all this oppression. They're going through all this poverty. They're going through all this calamity. And God, the first thing God does after he reveals himself to Gideon, he, the first instruction he tells him to do, tear down the shrine that's built to the Baal. That's really the source of their problem. The, solu the solution is going to be God. The solu solution is going to be Jehovah Shalom, who's with them. But their problem is their worship and their allegiance to Baal. And the first thing he tells them to do is tear down this shrine. See, again... God, Gideon thought God had forsaken them. No, they forsook God. There's a difference. Okay? And so, so he addresses the root of the cause and he tells them to tear it down. Now, skip on down one more time to verse 34. Or actually, go to verse 33. I don't have time to read the whole uh, history here. And then all the Midianites and Amalekites and the people of the east, so there's, there's more, there's there's a lot of people here. Gathered together, and they crossed over and camped in the valley of Jezreel. But the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon, and then he blew the trumpet, and the Bezerites gathered behind him. I just love this uh, phrase, you know, this uh, idea that the Spirit, it says in verse 34, but the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon. If you study that out in different translations, it says that he was clothed with God's presence. He was clothed with the presence of God. How many of you know we need God's presence? In his, in his presence there's fullness of joy. We need the presence of God in our midst. Everything... Uh, sorry. Um, I'm sorry, I missed my thought. So Gideon was clothed in God's presence. We need God's presence. We're, we're, if we're going to see the victory, we're going to see the victory because we have God's presence with us. Now, I have some other thoughts, but the second time I'm going to move forward. It's not, not important. Now, if we go towards chapter 7, again, I'm skipping over some detail just to, to get to some of the, 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 the good parts. Again, I'm, I'm not going to read all this detail here in chapter, at the beginning of verse chapter, chapter 7. But through this time, after he, ter he tears down the shrine, he has some conversations with God. Now, God has told Gideon he's going to use him to be a deliverer uh, for Israel uh, from the Midianites. But even in this process, as he's, uh, he's doing, God's telling him to do to tear down the shrine of his fathers and and build an altar to him, to God, Yahweh. But in this process, he, he's also got discouraged. He also has doubts. He, ha, he has 
a couple things with the fleece and trying to make sure he heard God right. And God's gracious, God's good. He reaffirms his word to him. So I'm down over, it goes into chapter 7 here too. But during this process, somehow, Gideon recruits 32,000 soldiers. Or 32,000 men. Now, I didn't describe all the details how he got these 32,000 men. Remember, we started with Gideon, and all of a sudden we have 32,000 men who are following Gideon. <coughs> and basically, as you continue to read into the beginning of chapter 7, God tells Gideon, you got too many men. Now, if you study, study everything now, I'm trying to bring everything to simplicity here. Hopefully I'm, I'm not losing you. If you put the, the, the armies of Midianites, the Amalekites, and some of these other people from the east, you got about 300,000 soldiers who are coming against Gideon and these 32,000 recruits. 32,000 against 300,000. The 300,000 have weapons. The 32,000 don't have any weapons. Not only is it 32,000 against 300,000, you got 300,000 armed men against 32,000 unarmed men. Something's not good with that picture. Would you, would you agree? But God tells Gideon, you have too many men. He's already outnumbered 300,000 to 32,000, and God tells him he has too many men. And through a, a combination of a couple betting systems that God comes up with, I'm not going to go into all that detail, he goes down to 10,000 men. Now it's 10,000 men, 10,000 unarmed men against 300,000 armed men. And God still tells him he has too many people. And finally it gets down to 300 men. 300 men against 300,000 men. Three, again, armed versus unarmed people. I mean, it, it's, almost, it's looking very impossible for 300 men to take over 300,000 men. But, but then God sends them. You know, sometimes when God tells you to do something, he's going to make it be where you are trusting him, not you. I think there's a lot of different reasons why God uh, went from 32,000 Men to 300 men. Well, one, I think a lot of these 32,000 men were already afraid. And afraid, uh, fear will be a paralytic. I think that was part of the reason as you read the story. But I think the bigger reason is God wanted them, not only Gideon, but these 300 men to trust God. And not their own strength. The Bible says in, in Zechariah, it's not by might. But it's by it's not my might, not my power, but it's by my spirit, says the Lord. If we're going to have any victory, we need God's presence, and He's going to do it in and through us. So yes, there was times where God, and throughout Israel's history, they when they went to battle, sometimes He says, "Stand still and see the salvation of God." Sometimes He says, "You pick up your sword and go." But I'm going to do it. Either way, God still did the victory. They didn't have the victory because of their own strength. They had the victory because they trusted God. Okay? God wants us to trust Him. Many of these men were already afraid. See, with peace, now again, again one reason I'm skipping through some of this stuff, God, we're talking about the Jehovah Shalom. We're talking about, <coughs> we're talking about peace. Okay? We're not so much talking about Gideon. That's part of the backdrop here. But we're talking about peace. And 
many of these men, 32,000 men, were afraid. With, without, with peace, faith can operate. See, when you don't have peace, it's going to be hard for faith to operate. It's hard for faith to operate when you, there's anxiety going on. Because when you are fearful, you are not confident. And when you're not confident, that's not faith. That makes sense? You need confidence. Confidence and faith go hand to hand. They're synonymous. Okay? And you, you can do a lot if you have faith in God. You can do nothing if you're not trusting God. And you're just trusting yourself. That makes sense? Jeremiah 17, I'm not going to go there, but it says, Cursed is the man who trusts his flesh for his strength. But blessed is the man whose trust is the Lord. I want to be blessed, not cursed. We are, it's a curse to trust flesh. Flesh can be someone else <coughs> or yourself. Well, I want to be blessed when I'm, I'm trusting God as my strength, as my victory. With peace, faith can, can, can operate to its fullest potential. When you have faith and faith in God, uh, I, 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 let me rephrase that. When you have peace, faith can operate in its fullest potential. We all have the measure of faith. We all, those of us who are in Christ, we all have the fruit of the Spirit, which includes faith. We all have the measure of faith, Romans uh, 12, 3. We all have the same measure. And that's a whole other topic. I'm going to be talking about faith at the beginning of 2021. I'm going to have a series on talking about faith. But, you know, faith, sometimes we think we need to have more faith. No, we just need to learn how to use the faith we have. How is that so? How do, how do we have the same faith? Because we, the Bible says we have the same measure of faith. A baby, a brand new infant baby, has the same muscles I have. But the baby hasn't learned to exercise those muscles yet. Uh, you know, the ba a baby, a child, has all the same muscles I have or you have. A baby has all the same muscles Michael Jordan or some other athlete or, or a person that we might look up to has. But that baby has to learn to develop those muscles to walk, to talk, to crawl, to, to, to function. And, and then eventually through time become an athlete or whatever they're going to use. Or whatever they, the muscles they need to use the most. Okay? But just as peace will help faith to operate, worry and fear will paralyze your potential. When you have fear, it will paralyze. You know, I used to work for, as a bookkeeper, I used to work for a, uh, a guy who did a window cleaning business. And a window cleaning business... Uh, Sometimes they had to get on ladders because sometimes it was a two-story house or a three-story house or, or even sometimes commercial buildings, which were multiple stories. And it was hard for him to hire someone who had, afraid of, had a fear of heights. You know, and uh, so a lot of times people would fill out the application just to get the job. And so he, uh, he always asked on the application, do you, do you have a fear of heights? Because if you have a fear of heights, you're not going to do well on the ladder with a bucket and our whatever uh, uh, all the equipment that they have to clean the window. You're not going to do well. 
And sometimes he would get guys that he thought they might still have a fair price, and they, but they put on the application that they didn't have a fair price because they wanted a job, they needed a job. And so he would just put a, a ladder up next to his tall palm, palm tree. He says, okay, climb the ladder. No gear, just climb the ladder from top to bottom. You know, some of them would, would climb up no problem, up and down. And then some, you, they wouldn't even get halfway up and they were just wobbling as if their knees were shaking, you know. And, uh, you know, he, he, he wasn't offended by it, but he just, you know, he couldn't hire them because it would be a safety issue. They couldn't, they couldn't perform some jobs if they can't handle being on the ladder. And so, uh, and a lot of times when they got so fearful, they just locked up. Fear will paralyze you. Uh, it's a paralytic, and so when you are fearful, you you won't you won't live to you won't operate in your fullest potential. Okay, Does that making sense between faith and fear. Okay, Wigglesworth. Some of you may know Wigglesworth. He did a lot of miracles, had a healing ministry and whatnot. Wigglesworth says this. I like this. I'm not moved by what I see. I'm not moved by what I feel. I'm moved by what I believe. You know, we can't be moved by our circumstances. Gideon and the armies of Israel, or the people of Israel, men of Israel, could not be moved by the Midianites and the Amalekites and the other people who were coming against them. They, they couldn't be moved by what they felt. They had to be moved by what God said. God said he was a mighty man of valor. So you're in chapter 7. Let's pick it up in verse 9. It says, And it happened on the same night that the Lord said to him, Arise, go down against the camp, for I have delivered it into your hand. But if you are afraid to go down, go down to the camp with Purah, with Purah your servant, and you shall hear what they say. And afterwards your hands shall be strengthened to go down against the camp. And he went down with Purah, so that means he was afraid, okay, his servant, to the outposts of the armed men who were in the camp. Now the Midianites and the Malachites, all, all the people of the east, were lying in the valley as numerous as locusts, and their camels were without number as a sand by, <coughs> by the seashore in multitude. So, real quick, I'm just going to pause here just for a moment. These 300 men <coughs> are going down to, to face this army of the Midianites, the Malachites, and these other people of the east. And it says that their camels were out as far as the sea and the seashore. That's how big this army was that was coming against them. In other words, there was camels. There was an army of candle, camels in their, in, their, in their military as far as the eye could see. That's a lot of men coming against 300 men. Okay? And Gideon was afraid. <coughs> Verse uh, 13. And when Gideon had come, there was a man telling a dream to his companion. He said, I, had, I have had a dream. To my surprise, a loaf of barley bread tumbled into the camp of the Midian, and it came to a tent and struck it so that it fell and overturned and the tent collapsed. Then his companion answered and said, There is nothing else but the sword of Gideon and the son of Joash, a man of Israel. And to, and to his hand, God has delivered Midian and the whole camp. So, God has, has God go to the camp of, uh, 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 of his men, 
And, and as, he, as Gideon's just walking through his camp, he overhears one of his men sharing his dream he had to another companion about basically how he was, Gideon was going to have the victory. See, again, Gideon was leading this army, these 300 men, but he, he still had some fear. And God was encouraging him to so many different to flee, some different other things that happened, if you continue to read the whole context that I didn't go through all. And he even speaks to one of some of his men in a dream, and he overhears the conversation, not only the dream, but the interpretation of the dream. And, and his, not only is Gideon being encouraged, but his companions, his men, 300 men are being, God is supernaturally speaking to his men through dreams and whatnot. And so it was in verse 15, when Gideon heard the telling of the dream <coughs> and its interpretation that he worshipped, he returned to the camp of Israel and said, Arise, for the Lord has delivered the camp of Midian into your hand. Now, so, um, I, I just love this whole thing. I just love how, how even in fear, now we're talking about Jeho Jehovah Shalom. We're talking about peace. But in talking about peace, we're talking about a man, God, and talking about a nation, but also 300 men and its leader, Gideon, who are also afraid. And God is countering this fear with his name, Jehovah Shalom, and that's peace. He's also giving them different signs and different dreams and different things to, to reaffirm his peace, his name, his nature to them. How many of you have gone through something you're just shaking in the boots? You get encouraged, you go to church, you hear a good message, you have a good friend or a mentor who encourages you, but just a few minutes later you're in fear again. Because you're just wallowing, you're, you're meditating on, on what's going on and what's not going on. And, and you, you're just, you're, 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 you're in and out of fear. Your, your, your emotions you're, are on a roller coaster. You're up and you're down. You're, you're both, you're doing good, but you're not doing good. And God is, I love this with Gideon because God is good. And he is gracious to keep reaffirming Gideon's confidence. With the fleece. With this dream, with the angel of the Lord, he already he already he already started off thinking he was the weakest of the weak, and yet God is reaffirming Himself to Gideon as Jehovah Shalom, your peace. He's using the, even he's a leader. God chose him as a leader, but he's even using his own men to encourage him. The dream. I don't know about you, but that speaks wonders because there's times even as a pastor I get discouraged. And it's nice when I hear other people, even some of the people I minister to, encourage me. Or just overhearing a conversation. That God is with me. That God is with them. We need encouragement. How many know we just need to be constantly reminded that God is with us. That he's our peace. We need that constant reminder. I just love that. Now, <coughs> and I'm not going to continue to read all the story, but God finally tells directs Gideon to lead his men <coughs> excuse me and then all men they took a pitcher you know like a water pitcher they took a torch and they took a trumpet and as you continue to read the story they all the men they, all three hundred men got and he sent them into three different companies and they surrounded the Midianites with a pitcher they didn't have any weapons so they use a pitcher, a torch, and a trumpet, 
And God basically sent ambushes among the Midianites and they killed each other off. But they had the victory with 300 men, with a, with a whole seashore of cam camels and fighting men. And God surrounded them with 300 men of faith that God was encouraging constantly through dreams and visions and different, different methods. He was encouraging them and he surrounded them with a pitcher, a clay pot pitcher, a torch, and a trumpet. And they didn't even have to pick up a sword because they didn't even have a sword. And the victory was theirs. We're, you know, this sounds very similar to when we talked about Jehovah Nisi not too long ago, that he's our victory. But we're talking about Jehovah Shalom. And their victory, their peace, their victory had to do with having peace and trusting God. When you go to boot camp to be an army, they don't teach you to fight the battle with a pitcher, a torch, and a trumpet. That's not how you fight battle. But that's all they have. God will use what you have to bring the victory. But the key element is not what you have. That's not your, you know, they didn't put their trust in the pitcher. They didn't put their trust in the torch. They didn't put their trust in the trumpet. They put their trust in God, who was their peace. Peace will allow you your faith to operate in its full potential. With, with faith, you can do all things through Christ that gives you strength. With faith, nothing is impossible to those who believe. The key is trusting God. It's not the strategy. The strategy is God. But with God, he will give you a strategy that doesn't make sense in the natural. But if you will trust God, you will see the victory. That makes sense? We can have peace. There, there was nothing about the situation that was peaceful. 3,000 armed men, as far as the eye could see, as, as great as the sea, as many as the sand on the seashore, coming against them to kill them. And they had 300 men. God, and that was the whole process of how God went from 32,000 men to 300 men. They didn't even have a weapon. And he used, what, he used someone who thought he was the weakest of the weak to lead 300 men with a pitcher, a torch, and a, a trumpet and overcome the enemy. It's not about the pitcher, the torch, and the, it's about trusting God. Who is, and it's in the midst of the story that we're talking about that God reveals himself as Shalom Peace. He's our Lord Shalom. You know, it reminds me of the story I heard about an artist. And there was some type of competition how they were supposed to, all these artists got together and they were supposed to draw a picture about peace. And most of them drew a nice, pretty picture, peaceful, calm, however, however, something that was calm, peaceful in nature. And then this one artist, he, was, he just made heavy strokes as rough as the strokes could be of a raging storm, violent storm, and with the sea and the, the, wet, the waves. It was just violent against all these other pictures of, uh, that were calm and peaceful and the way you would think of peace. And, but in the storm, on the cliff of the hillside, 
with his eagle nest, with an eaglet sleeping in the, under the wings of his, of his mother, the eagle. Because even in the midst of this violent, temperate storm and waves and battle, these eaglets were at peace, sleeping. And that, that artist actually won the prize. Uh, so peace is not based on the circumstances. Peace is based on Jehovah Shalom, the Lord your peace. And when you have peace, you can have victory. When we come into a situation, we proclaim peace. We proclaim his salvation. And we declare our God reigns. According to Isaiah 52, verse 7. Because the circumstance, the circumstance looks like it's raining. But it's not going to rain. Our God reigns. And we proclaim peace. We proclaim salvation. And we declare that our God reigns. He's Jehovah Shalom. Turn with me real quick to Isaiah chapter 9. It says in verse 6, it's very timely because we're coming across Christmas very soon here. Not quite there, we're November 1st. But it says, for unto Isaiah chapter 9, Isaiah is right after Psalms, or shortly after Psalms. <coughs> it says, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given and the government will be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called and his name shall be called we're talking about the names of God are we not and his name shall be called wonderful counselor mighty God everlasting father prince of peace we're talking about shalom peace I love this verse. And in my mind, every day is Christmas. But, but I love this. It says at the beginning of verse 6, For unto us. <coughs> unto who? Us. Unto who? Us. Who's us? Are you part of us? Unto us a child is born. <coughs> unto us a child is born is given. This child, this son, and is born to who? Is given to who? Us. Jesus is given to you. Jesus is born unto you. <coughs> and the government is upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called, of all names, that are listed here, he's also called the Prince of Peace. Am I making sense this morning? Your shalom peace is because this child who's given to you, who's born to you, he's the Prince of Peace. He's other things too. We're just not, we're focusing on peace right now. So that's why I'm zeroing in on that aspect of his name. But his name shall be called Prince of Peace. He's Jehovah Shalom. He's the Lord, your peace. And where's this child today? This, is not Jesus on the inside of you? 
If you receive Christ, this Prince of Peace is on the inside of you. No matter what's going on, he's Jehovah Shalom. Trust him. And the government is on his shore. Go with me real quick. You're on Isaiah. Go to chapter 26. Verse 3. I use this all the time. We don't always turn to it, but I want to turn to it today. You will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Again, I said, you know, faith and peace. Go hand in hand. Those who trust him, which is faith, will have perfect peace. You can't have perfect peace without trusting God. And how are you going to trust God if you don't keep your mind stayed on him? Some of us say we're trusting God. I was talking with someone this week. And I'm not picking on this person because I've done the same thing they've done. But they were going on and on about why this was going on. And they were whining and complaining about what was going on. <coughs> and, and I wasn't trying to be uh, I wasn't trying to be rude and what was really going on. But I was like, stop meditating on what's going on. Meditate on God. Meditate on His Word. Stop wallowing in it. Stop keep stop being a lead. You know your allegiance is to the circumstance, not to God. In this, in this, and in this, in this mind frame, get your mind back on God, and you'll have peace. But you're not going to have peace if you keep meditating on the problem. It doesn't say he will keep a perfect peace. He was mind is stayed on the problem. No, you will have perfect peace if your mind is stayed on him. Because you trust him. No matter what it looks like. No matter what it looked like with the Midianites, Gideon had to get his focus on God. We have to get our focus on God. And it goes on to say, trust in the Lord forever. For in Yah, Yahweh, the Lord is everlasting strength. He, he's, there's everlasting strength in Him. He is our peace. You know, let me just say it this way. Let's just say it this way. We're talking about Jehovah Shalom. The Lord is our peace. It's not the Lord is your fear. It's not the Lord is your worry. It's not the Lord is your anxiety. No, it's the Lord is your peace. Some of us put more energy into worrying about and stressing over and fearing what's going on than we do about trusting God. Which in that sense, when we are spending all day, all week, sometimes months and years worrying about something, we have just made that thing that we are worried about our Lord. That might make sense. God is our Lord. And our Lord is our peace.
But we, in our own mind, can make the circumstance we're going through our Lord. Because we give it, we give it more allegiance than we do God. I'm not trying to belittle the problem, but I'm trying to magnify God. Am I making sense? Go with me real quick to Matthew, well, uh, you don't have to turn with me. I'm not going to read it all right now because it's taking time. But Matthew, Matthew chapter 6. In Matthew chapter 6, we have, and I've gone here many times, it talks about, Jesus said, don't take thought what you're going to eat, what you're going to wear, for you know your heavenly Father knows that you need these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. You know, I must know the scripture. You know, when I read that, I, I, get the, I get the impression that we're valuable to God. We're even more valuable in one sense than the sparrows and to the birds and the grass in the field. It's all valuable to God, but we're more valuable. God loves us. And we can have peace because our Father loves us. And John 14, again, you don't have to turn there, but John 14 is just before Jesus is going to the cross and he's encouraging his of disciples before he goes to the cross. In John 14, 15, and 16, he's talking a lot about the Holy Spirit, but he's talking with them very intimately before he goes to the cross. And he makes a statement. He says, he says my peace I have given to you. Not as the world gives, but as I give to you. God has given us. If you say that word out, God has bequeathed us with his peace. Sometimes when the uh, someone is passing away, like a, a father or whatnot, he might bequeath his estate or his 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 uh, valuables, his assets to his kids or to an individual or whatnot. God has bequeathed us with His peace. Our Lord, our King, has bequeathed us with peace. Go with me real quick to Jude. Jude. Uh, Jude is right before the Book of Revelation, so it's the second to the last book of the Bible. It's only one chapter. Jude, one ch uh, verse twenty. <coughs> Jude twenty says, "But you, beloved, building yourself up in your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keeping yourself in the love of God, looking for the mercy of the Lord your hope." Jesus Christ into eternal life. There's a lot here. We're, we'll spend a little more time on this in our next series. We're going to be talking about the Holy Spirit when I'm done talking about the name of God. But I'm bringing this out. I mean, some of you might be thinking, what does this have to do with peace? But it says, you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith. How do you know that we can build up our faith? We have the same measure of faith, but we can build it up. How do we build up our faith? And again, I've already established faith and peace work hand in hand. When we have faith in God, we will have peace. You can't have peace outside of having faith in God. He will keep in perfect peace whose mind stayed upon him. Those who are trusting God will have peace. But if you are not trusting God, no matter what you're going through, you're not going to have peace. But how do you build up this faith? By praying in the Holy Spirit. I'm not going to teach on all that today. We'll be teaching on that very soon here about praying in the Holy Spirit. But you can pray in the Holy Spirit. The Bible, and there's a whole teaching on this. And there's some things here that are being quoted from uh, the, the prophets, I think it's Isaiah. But 
The Bible talks about how praying in tongues is a refreshing of the saints. There's a refreshing. And we need to be refreshed. But we can build ourselves up when we get our focus off the problem and get our focus on the Spirit of God. And we can do that through praying in the Holy Spirit. Again, I used this verse over the last few weeks, but it says in Isaiah chapter 12, verse 3, that we can draw from the wells of salvation with joy. We can draw from this salvation that we have with joy. If we, turn with me, though, in the Bible to Colossians 3 real quick. I have a few more scriptures. I'm going to be closing soon. I'm going to go over a little bit because we got a late start. So this will all be recorded in our archives. We had a late start because we had some technical difficulties. But I'm not going to mean I'm going to keep the message short. So, Colossians chapter 3. Before we read, we read this, we'll read it in just a second. I want to give you seven things. Seven things about walking in peace. We want to have peace, but we want to walk in peace. When I, when, when I, use, when I use the phrase walk in peace, walk in the spirit, walk in faith, it's a lifestyle. I don't want to just have peace in the moment. I want to walk in it. I want to live in peace. Seven things, and we'll see these in the scriptures in just a moment. Let me give you the seven things first, and then we'll see them in the scriptures in just a minute. Seven things about walking in, in, in peace. The first one is forgiveness. Grudges destroy peace. If you have a grudge against somebody, it will destroy peace. Unforgiveness destroys peace all the time. Learn to forgive. You know... Jesus ministered to disciples all the time. But there was only one time where the disciples said, Lord, increase our faith. And the only time the disciples asked God to ask Jesus to increase their faith was when he was talking about forgiveness. In other words, Andrew Womack says, it takes more faith to forgive people than it does to raise the dead. Some people of us have, have, are, have such grudges and bitter hearts that we will... We could raise the dead a lot easier than we could about forgiving somebody. If you have a grudge or bitterness, you do not have peace. At least in that circumstance. Prefer forget. And second one is love. Don't speak bad about other people. All who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Not just you, but all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Be a peacemaker. You know, the Beatitudes talks about that. Be a peacemaker. Blessed are the peacemakers. I want to be a peacemaker, not, not having a grudge over people. The third thing is be thankful. Complaining leads to bitterness. It leads to strife. Avoid strife and bitterness at all costs. Be thankful. You know it's hard to be thankful and bitter at the same time? How do you conquer bitterness? How do you conquer having a, a stinking attitude? And we all have them sometimes. Thankfulness. Thank, you know, thankfulness is a good way to get your faith, thing, faith going. It's easier to trust God 
is when you are thankful than when you are complaining about the situation. You know, it says in Philippians chapter 4, whatever is good, whatever is lovely, think on these things. And the peace of God surpasses understanding will guard your heart and mind, Christ Jesus. When you are focused on everything that's going wrong instead of thinking about what is going right, the peace of God can't guard your heart and mind. That makes sense? The peace is there, but it can't function. Because you, you are determined, and most of us are stubborn. We're stubborn enough to be complaining and meditate and have a grudge over the situation. Sometimes that grudge is against ourselves. We're so, we're so sick of ourselves. Sometimes we complain about ourselves more than we do other people. And so we need, and how do we break that? Be thankful. Get your focus on God. How do I get my focus on God? Be thankful. Delight in the Lord. Then he'll give you desires of God. Delight in him. Worship God. Get your focus off you. Get your focus off the situation. And get your focus on God. How do you do that? Be thankful. Praise God. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, for getting all of his benefits. I love David's Psalms because sometimes he will encourage himself. Bless the Lord. He's telling himself, bless the Lord. The fourth thing we'll see, be in the Word. The Word became flesh. The Word is not the ink. The Word is the person. His name is Jesus. And Jesus is our Prince of Peace. <coughs> so be thankful. Be in the Word. You know, this goes hand in hand with Thanksgiving. This goes hand in hand with the attitude. It's going to be hard to have a stinking attitude if you're in the Word. Get in the Word. Meditate on the Word and stop meditating on this, on, 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 on this, what's going on. Let me give you these four things real quick. So far. There's seven of them, but let me recap. Forgive. The first one, forgive. And you're going to need faith to forgive. You're going to need God's help to forgive. Forgive. The second one is love. Don't complain. Don't talk about others in a negative fashion. Love. Be a peacemaker. Love them. The third one is be thankful. Be thankful. How do you be thankful? Well, the fourth one comes in handy. Be in the Word. If you're in the Word, you're going to learn how to be thankful. You're going to learn how to be peace. And you're going to learn how to keep your mind. Meditate on the Word. Don't meditate on the problem. Don't meditate on the person who's harmed you. Meditate on God. Be in the Word. Be thankful. The fifth one is sing. Sing. Rejoice. David did it. Sing. Some of you need to change the record. Some of you need to sing a new song. Some of you, you've been singing the song about what this person has done or what this or that, or you've been singing the song about your circumstance or your illness too long. You know, there's some, type, some songs I like. I love, I love playing it over and over. But Sherry gets tired of the songs a lot faster than I do. She likes some songs, but she wants a variety of them. She might like it again tomorrow, but you played it too many times a day or within the past hour, you know. But some of you, you've been, you've been singing the refrain of, of your complaint and your what's going on, your circumstance, and gut, you know, 
I know we need to be involved with politics, but I'm just sick of some of this stuff. <laughs> you know, I, I, I don't want to get on that bandwagon. <laughs> but uh, but there's, some, there's some things, you know, you can just say it too much. Sing a new song. Rejoice in the Lord always. Sing a song. If you don't know how to sing, then get the radio, get the CD player, get your MP4 player, and, and crank it up. Sing. We tried to sing this morning. We had some hiccups with the technology. I loved it because the lady kept singing. I was wrestling with the name, but I just kept singing anyway. You know? But sing. Singing's powerful. God gave you vocal cords. Use them. Use them. The, four, the sixth thing is attitude. So I must need an attitude adjustment. And that's probably one of the famous things I heard from my parents growing up is you need to change your attitude. I always didn't like that. But it's true. I need to change my attitude. Whatever you do, do it unto the Lord. No attitude still is a, a vague, vague way of putting it sometimes. But we stop doing it unto okay, your boss is treating you bad, bad. Well, stop doing it for your boss. Do it unto the Lord. We're talking about the Lord is our peace. The Lord is our provider. The Lord. Your boss is not your Lord. He might be your uh, Lord of small L. But Jesus is the King of kings and Lord of lords. Do it unto him. Change your attitude. Stop doing it for your boss and stop doing it for the Lord. Bless your field. Bless where you are. The sixth, the seventh thing, you ready for the seventh one? Be thankful again. I, I thought we already said that, Dave. Yeah, that was point number three. It's point number seven, too. Be thankful again. We have his peace. Peace is powerful. Here was Gideon in, in Israel, overcome by an army, a sea of camels. And God reveals himself as, I'm Jehovah Shalom. I'm Jehovah your peace. Peace is powerful. Peace allowed 300 men without weapons to overcome 3,000 soldiers with weapons. Peace is powerful. Peace is powerful. We proclaim his peace. We proclaim his salvation because our God reigns. Okay, with that in mind, let's read Colossians. Chapter 3. Sorry, verse 12. It says, Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, <clears throat> bearing with one another, and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of God and Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. 
singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord. There's the attitude. Jesus giving thanks to God the Father through him. There's thanks again. I know there's some more things in here. I just, I just narrowed it down to seven. But these seven are, are enough to go on. Okay? I believe I can tie all these things that he listened to seven things. And one thing that was repetitive was Thanksgiving. You can chew on that. Let me just close with some more scriptures before I close here. You know, we've turned here many times. You know, I'm not going to read it again. But it says in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 2, Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of Him. As you have the knowledge of God, peace and grace are going to be multiplied to you. You know, we, a lot of times we, we study this from many aspects. But how many of you know, where does fear come from? When you hear of a circumstance or a situation, fear comes. By the, having the knowledge of that situation, you just came into fear. But when the knowledge of God, grace and peace is multiplied to you. So you, as you go through life, you're going to have circumstances happening in life. And fear and anxiety and strife are going to want to come in. But in the knowledge of God, grace and peace is multiplied to you. So you need to make sure that your knowledge of God is in greater capacity than the knowledge of this world. As you go about your day, email, phone calls, news, and different things, social media, you're going to get the knowledge of other, other things going on. You know, we could get a knowledge the car doesn't work. Well, how did I know that? I started the car and it didn't work. Well, that's a knowledge thing. Fear can kick in. Anxiety can kick in. But also can come the knowledge of God. My gosh, has supplied my needs according to His riches and glory Christ Jesus. Both are knowledge things. But which one am I going to be dominant in? Grace and peace is not going to be multiplied in the knowledge of how my car is working or not working. But grace and peace will come in the knowledge of God. He is my provider. He's my peace. He's my healer. He's my banner. He's my righteousness. In the knowledge of God comes peace. Grace and peace is multiplied to you in the knowledge of God. We might have other things going on, and we might have knowledge of that, but I need to make sure that the knowledge of God trumps my thinker. That make sense? We need to make sure that we have the knowledge of God and we are continually feasting on the knowledge of God because I, I can't go on yesterday's manna. I need it today. And it, I, I have problems today. And I need the knowledge of God to be the most dominant thing in my mind. I'll have knowledge of other things as I go throughout my day, my weeks and my months and my years. But I, grace and peace has multiplied me to me in the knowledge of God. I need the multiplication of grace and peace in my life so I can handle and I can deal with the current problems and other problems that come to me. I need the knowledge of God so I can deal with the knowledge of other things. That makes sense? But this needs to be dominant. This is my source. The other things are not my source. They're, they're what's happening. But I need the source of the knowledge of God, the grace and peace of God, so I can deal with the issues of life. That makes sense?
I don't have time to turn to it. Actually, um, go to Romans 5.1. I'm not going to read the whole context. read verse 1 and 2. It says, Therefore having Romans 5, 1 and 2. Therefore having been justified by faith we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, to whom also we have, pe have, ha have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in the hope of glory of God. I don't have time to teach all this right now. But Paul, in, the, in chapter 4, Paul had just been talking about how Abraham was justified by faith. And how this was written not just for him, but for us too. We are justified because of what God, our, we, are, we are justified because we have faith in what God did. We are not justified because we have faith in what we did. That makes sense? My faith is in what God did for me, not my faith. I don't have Faith, I don't have righteousness because I have faith in what I did. I will do things because I live right, but I'm justified by faith because of what he did. It makes sense. Because that's true, and Paul had dealt with that in chapter 4, we are justified by faith, but because we're justified by faith, there are benefits. There are benefits of being justified by faith. And one of those benefits is peace. And that's the first benefit he's dealing with here in chapter 5, is that one of those benefits that we have because we're justified by grace is peace with God. That makes sense. Again, peace and faith are going hand in hand here. Peace can, let me say it this way, you can only have peace with God when you relate to God based on what he did. You don't have peace with God when you relate to God based on what you do. You have peace with God based on when you relate to God based on what He did. Because how many of you know you and I will mess up? And even our, our best Bible calls it filthy rags. I have peace with God. You know, we're, we're again, we're going to, we're coming to the season of Christmas. And when we come to the season of Christmas in Luke chapter 2, we, we will. We will hear how the, how the angels came to the shepherds and began to pray and say, peace and goodwill toward men. Andrew Womack has a whole teaching on this, how the war is over. The war between man and God is over because of Jesus. God is our peace. He's, he brought peace and joy to the world. I don't have time to teach all this right now, but it says in Isaiah 40 verse 2, that we can rejoice because her warfare is over. The warfare between God and man is over because of Jesus. When we understand salvation, when we understand this child, this son who's been born into us, this wonderful counselor who died for us, who died for our sins, and we're at peace with God because of what he, <coughs> he did, we can have peace. And when we have peace, when we stop living trying to measure up to God and we just receive His salvation, we can have peace to conquer the situations we're going through. 
You can't conquer the situations you're going through if you're still trying to get right with God based on your performance. But when you, when you resolve that, when you resolve that you are reconciled to God through Christ Jesus, when you resolve that issue, because righteousness is the foundation, but the foundation is not resolved. At the foundation, you're still trying to get right with God. How can you pray and expect God to answer your prayers when you still don't even know if you're right with God? But when there is a resolve in your heart that I am right with God because of Christ, I'm justified with God because of Christ, now I can come boldly to His throne of grace and receive mercy in my time of need. There's peace. That peace with God is powerful because I know I'm right with God. I now can receive from God. That makes sense. There's much more teaching I can to, to surround that, but almost everything we teach in this church, we take it from different angles, but we're preaching, pretty much teaching that in everything we do. All of our Bible classes, all of our Bible studies, we're trying to see the same message, but we're just teaching, taking it from different angles. We are right with God because of what Jesus did. Because we're right with God, we can now live in peace and we can live a victorious life. We can live a righteous, holy, victorious life. Because we are peace with God. We start from a place of victory. We start from a place of acceptance. We start from righteousness. Righteousness is the foundation of the throne. Righteousness is the starting point. It's the elementary teachings, it says in Hebrews chapter 5. All scriptures pop up with doctrine, reproof, correction, training, and righteousness so the man of God might be truly equipped for everything. Once we have resolved that we're right with God based on what Jesus did, now we can live and we can build that foundation in holiness and righteousness. We can build, we can have a good marriage, we can have be good parents, we can, we can talk about any subject. Because we're at peace with God. You can't talk about, you can't even talk about other subjects if you haven't resolved that you're at peace with God. There's so many scriptures I can talk about. And actually I had a teaching message earlier this year on being established in peace. So I can, I'm not going to reteach all of that today. But if you go to our archives on our website, I have a whole teaching series on the being established in peace. And I teach on a little more thorough on everything I'm trying to describe to you right now. You know, it says in Ephesians 6.15, how many of you know, how many, in Ephesians 6 it talks about the armor of God. The breastplate of righteousness, the helmet of salvation. But one of the armory is our feet being shod in the gospel of peace. It's the gospel of peace. And our feet, our feet is what we're standing on. Our feet, our feet are shod with the gospel a peace, which goes back to the verse I keep quoting, is how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news. Good news is the gospel. Who proclaims peace, who proclaims salvation, and declares our God reigns. Our feet are shod with this gospel of peace. There's so much more I could elaborate on that, but I want to I want to wrap up the, the, this morning. We're going to Isaiah 54. Isaiah 54. Verse 10. 
I spend a lot more time, with, even with this passage in my series, I, I just talked about being established in right and peace. Then it says, For the mountains shall depart, and the hills be removed. But my kindness shall not depart from you, nor shall my covenant of peace be removed. So the Lord who has mercy on you. I love this. Again, I don't have time to go into a full teaching on this. But we have a, first of all, we have a covenant of peace. That word covenant is a very strong word. It's a covenant. And when God makes a covenant, he doesn't break it. Okay? We can walk in a greater measure of grace and peace because we have a covenant of peace with God. But I love this. If you listen to this verse, it says, For the mountains shall depart and the hills be removed, but my kindness shall not depart from you. Nor shall my covenant of peace be removed. In other words, the mountains and the hills will be removed before God removes his covenant of peace. I don't know about you, but that gives me blessed assurance. God will not break his covenant of peace with you before the mountains and the hills are removed. So as long as there's mountains and hills, God's got a covenant of peace with you. And there's, I don't know, I don't know where you live, but there's mountains and hills around where we live. And as long as there's mountains and hills, I know I have a covenant of peace with God. That gives me blessed assurance. His covenant of peace is in effect. Peace Glory to God in the highest. Peace and good will towards man. Because of what Christ has done. You know, let me, let me, uh, I just want to close with this analogy. Have you ever seen a water hose? Have you used a water hose out in the yard and go to? I, I did, and I have as a child, but... Uh, a lot of times if you will clamp that hose, you can clamp the hose in such a way with your hand that the water's not coming out. Sometimes you have to move the hose from one location to the other and you clamp the hose because you don't want to get everything wet until it's the area that you want to water. But if you clamp the hose, the water is still flowing, but it's not coming out because it's being clamped down. And sometimes life, the flow of life like in the hose is... It, 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 actually, that's a... God's peace is always flowing. I can say that about the other attributes of God, but His peace is always flowing. But when our hearts are so clamped with fear, we can't receive that peace because, not because it's not flowing, because our hearts are so clamped. We need to release His peace by trusting Him so His peace can flow. I believe that's what God was doing, Gideon. His heart was so clamped with fear because of Midianites, he thought he was the weakest of the weak. But God was trying to get him to release the hose, release his peace, because he's Jehovah Shalom, he's the Lord of peace. 
And you, some of us, we God's peace, God's grace, and His peace wants to be multiplied to you, but it, it's not. You're not seeing the effects of it because your heart is so clouded with fear. Bible says, "A perfect, uh, perfect love casts out fear, and those who fear have not been made perfect in love." Bible says that faith works through love. You can't operate in the peace and faith that God wants you to operate if you're clamped with fear. But his love will cast that fear out. That's why we need to be in the word. That's why we need to pray in the spirit so we can receive his love. When we, the Bible says when we receive his love, we're filled with the very fullness of God. I don't know about you, but I want to be filled with the fullness of God. If you are full, filled with the fullness of God, you have all the peace, all the love, all the faith, all the healing, all the provision you need. If you are, do you know how big God is? The God who made you, who made the universe, who made everything, who's everywhere at every time. God wants to fill you with his fullness. How do you get filled with his fullness? You know, you know, you know his love for you. It says that in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 19. If you know the love of God, it will be filled with the very fullness of God. And the very next verse says, He is able to do far above beyond you can ever ask or imagine according to His power, His love that's within you. If you have the fullness of God, you have all the power you need to live this life and be a victor. But when you know His love, His love will cast out fear. And faith works through love. So if you're having a faith problem, you're really having a love problem. You fix the love problem, your faith will work. It will operate. You need to know his love. And when you have faith and you have confidence, you're going to have peace. Peace that surpasses understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Get your focus off the Midianites. The, the, I mean, can you imagine the scene of coming and seeing a sea of camels in the army? And they're, they're here not because of a convention. They're out hell here to kill you. And God says, and you have no weapons. All you have is a, a clay pot, a pitcher, a torch, and a trumpet. And you with 300 men are going to beat these 300,000 plus camels in their army. When you trust God, you got that image. You got that because you just saw that image of camels. You now have this knowledge of camels in his army. Well, the knowledge of God will give you perfect peace. The knowledge of God, the grace and peace be multiplied to you. And as you're establishing God loves you, God is for you. You will have the victory. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what the circumstance is. But I do know not. I do know my God. And he is a prince of peace. And he wants to give you peace. And he wants to give you victory. Trust him. Focus on him. Stop meditating on what's going wrong. Meditate on what, who God is. And he will give you peace. Peace that surpasses understanding. And you will see the victory. He is Jehovah Shalom, the Lord.
your peace. Your peace is your Lord. Not the circumstance, not the anxiety, not the stress. Your peace is your Lord. Amen. Lord, we worship you, we magnify you. Help us to walk in this. Lord, it's a great message, but the message in one sense has no value if we don't apply it. And so, Lord, we, we worship you, we magnify you, we thank you that you are our Prince of Peace. We go in peace in the name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen, amen. God bless you. Amen and amen.